I saw so many companies that started the same time I did in my market that were blowing up. Um, but some of their business practices I didn't agree with, some of the way they were, they were monetizing their services I didn't necessarily agree with. I thought it was maybe a short-term gain. So I'm excited to see that with our reputation intact, we can now leverage that and, and, and I know we're gonna win in the end because we're never gonna quit. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Moyla, and today I'm here with Mark Brower of Mark Brower Properties. Mark, thanks for coming on. Pleasure to be here. Mark, um, we've known each other for a little while now, and I'm excited to get an update on where the business is at and where your head is at, looking at opportunities going forward into this year. But for those that don't know, tell us a little bit about the company and your background. Absolutely. Mark Brower Properties. Uh started February 2011. Uh, before that, I was a commercial land broker, actually in a previous professional life. Saw that land market, saw that market crashing in 2006-7 when builders were walking away from large deposits on land. And I had always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So uh, my wife and I had acquired a few rentals by that time and experienced poor management, not altogether unlike my peers, I'm sure. And that's when we started. Just jump right in. Just jumped right in. And where's the, where's the business today? Currently about 520 doors, uh, but growing quickly. I feel like we were the 10-year overnight success where we hit an inflection point a couple years ago, and now we're trending up uh, a little bit faster. Really happy about that. I'm sensing that your energy is partly fueled by the fact that there's some some happiness and some joy in where the business is at right now. Yeah. What's really lighting you up? What are you really loving and enjoying about this business? You know, honestly, as uh, I think entrepreneurship is the best job in the world because as you grow and you can afford the talent that supplements the parts that you're weak in, your job becomes more and more engaging, more and more enjoyable. So I've, I feel like I'm getting closer to the sweet spot where I can add maximum value and doing the things that I love doing. That's thrilling to me. I feel like I'm not working for money. I'm working to be able to access higher levels of talent in more fulfilling, transformative relationships. Mm. And that flywheel is starting to move right now. Oh, man. We're going straight to the sweet spot for <laughs> me, man. Tell me more, more about that virtuous cycle or, or loop. Um, so recently, I, I came across some information by uh, Charles Koch. Coke Industries. I'm, I'm a big fan. I don't know a lot about him, but um, he took his father's company from 20 million in the 1960s to over 100 billion in revenue. It's the second largest private company in the U.S. He's worth 60 billion dollars, and his whole uh, he and, he and he describes himself as an abstractionist, like he's an idea guy, and I resonate with that. And what he's it was it was able to do over the years is find one principle after the next that were true principles and imbue them into his organization. And one of those is they believe in these virtuous cycles of mutual benefits. So they consider everybody that's a, a stakeholder, uh, every constituent, a partner, and their mantra is they want to be the preferred partner in these virtuous cycles of mutual benefit that are uh, super long term. So 
I'm really excited about that idea. I'm really excited about thinking of my team as partners when we're engaged in a mutual benefit cycle, uh, residents, owners, all of that. Mm. Well, when this conversation comes up, I get really lit up because it's exciting and interesting. But I don't know why my mind always goes to the cynicism that's the flip side of that thought. And the cynicism is something like, well, Mark, if you knew anything about property management, you would know that wouldn't work here. This environment, this arena is, it's, uh, it's, it's too tough. It's too impractical. It's the people I got to hire, my market, the type of task, you know, that wouldn't be applicable in this kind of business, Mark. It's just property management. It's how would you respond to that? It's not an easy business. I can't, I, well, I have to acknowledge my own ignorance. I, I haven't been involved at the depth that I am in this business in any other, uh, other industry, right? So I don't know what it's like in any other industries. But from my viewpoint, it is extremely challenging to take full and complete ownership of every relationship that property managers have. It's very challenging. Mm. Um, but we dare to try to do that. And we dare to try to find talented people and instead of having a role in our company that's like got a checklist of credentials that are needed and you're either a fit or you're out, it's what talented people can we find that we can maximize their individual gifts to create additional value for all of our constituents, for, for whatever constituent we're working on right then. That's a different approach, right? Because when you get somebody in their sweet spot, when they light up doing lease renewals or they light up going out in the field or they light up... Uh, even talking with owners and, and, and bringing them from a point of frustration to delight, um, that, that's where the magic happens. Mm. Mm. There's a lot there. Um, that's one of the things that I'm most bullish on is the people. I'm really excited about our market positioning, our tech, you know, the hard stuff. I'm really excited about it. But the thing I'm most excited about is the people, man. And what they can become because that, that loop can just go over and over and over again. And it's something that I find is easy to think of as just a soft skill conversation. But my experience of it is that it's dramatically connected to performance, objective performance. If you want the most out of people, then investing the most in would be the only sensible response. Would it not? 100%. One of my takeaways from this conference so far is uh, I believe that the best companies have the best routines, right? It's success is not an accident. So if I'm gonna invest in my people, there has to be a routine around that. There has to be multiple routines around that. So we think of the heartbeat of our organization as a cadence of meetings. One of our meetings is a weekly manager meeting. And so one of the takeaways from this conference today is I, I, uh, yesterday is I put in my weekly manager meeting, a specific line items in the agenda to review how we can create, how I personally can create more value for the team, and then reviewing two members of the team each week and how we can create more value for them, both personally and professionally. I think that's where it, it's, there's an oversight, right? We're, we're so focused out, we're so focused on the cash, we're so focused on tactics. But like Mr. Marriott said, like we take care of our people, our people take care of our customers, mm. of our guests. Mm. Right? Mm. I think that's missed, right? And I'm not perfect at it, but I'm really excited to double down on that. Oh, when you talk about it, there's, you're opening yourself up to the possibility that somebody, somebody tells you, well, you didn't do it. You know, in this instance, man, uh, I'm just you didn't do it. 
I'm recording this, so there's gonna be some accountability. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, hey, what are you doing for me? <laughs> and that's really the point of it is yeah. to say, oh, I didn't do it. I'm, like, okay, cool. Putting it I'd there. like to. That's what I want to stand for. How can I do better? That's it. The risk of failure is worth. It's worth the reward associated with 100%. committing and, and elevating it. And that's just it's it's what it is. When you think about where the business is headed for you right now, you've had this journey. You said it was a X number of years success. Well, we're here, and the year is 2023. There's been some shifts in the market. What are the unique opportunities for this season that you're focused on? What are you aiming at with the business right now? So I think there's some macro trends that are really interesting. I think that thing that you know, if, if there's anything that prompts any cynicism or dismay, it's the political environment. I think where we're headed politically with respect to. Um, uh, you know, where personal property rights, um, I, I see some encroachment on personal property rights, right? And that's going to impact our industry broadly. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it seems like it's an extremely uh, strong force that it's really going to be hard to keep that at bay. So, so preparing for that, thinking ahead about that, and thinking about how we can maximize value in light of this uh, political environment for landlords who might be fearful about, uh, you know, being at the, in the crosshairs of a lawsuit or something like that. That's an opportunity, right? Um, other than that, I'm just super excited about figuring out how to maximize value creation for our clients through um, just similar to how Coke Industries grew. They were, they were in one vertical, but because they focused and they obsessed about value creation, it opened up all these other avenues. And so things like owner benefits packages, uh, how we can, we just, I just started a maintenance company two months ago. Uh, we've got greater control over quality and price and adding value in, in a much um, stronger manner than we were previously. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to how many add-ons can we find over the years that are within our capabilities but add maximum value. Yes, yes. And we've talked about this in terms of your conviction there. What is your conviction about the conviction that you need to have in order to roll something out with effectiveness and integrity? You have to know that adding value is possible. You have to have a belief that it's possible. You have to transcend the cynicism. Honestly, when I come to a national event like this, I do feel like a mixture of vibes. I do feel like there's a part of the crowd that is a little bit like, yeah, I've been doing this for a while. I'm feeling a little burned out. I'm still here. All my peers are here, but this kind of sucks. <laughs> And then there's another crowd that still has the fire. They still believe more is possible, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I got to stay in that space. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. 100%. You got to stay in that space. And so part of that is taking extreme ownership. I love Jocko Willink, you know, his book, Extreme Ownership. Mm -hmm. And can we dare to own every negative interaction that happens, put that on the table as a case study, and then get to the bottom of it and, and own every piece. Even if it means eight months ago, we should not have said yes to something we mm -hmm, did. Mm -hmm. Can we own all of that? Mm -hmm. And if we dare to own all of that, then we can celebrate when we add tremendous value. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about that is that I think people hear that commentary and one way that it can be experienced is, you know, what's the yield on that level of perfection? And my response to that is that the way you're talking about it, the way I would identify it is, I'm getting something out of prosecuting the stuff that you're talking about. Like me, I'm getting something out of it by the act of inquiry and like upholding excellence and saying, well, no, we don't have to. We didn't have to have that interaction. We didn't have to use that situation as like a case study or a lens for, for what it could mean. But if we want to, we can. And if we do, what could come 
out of that process. It very much transcends a specific one-off situation that you're trying to fix or trying to solve for. That's the way I relate to it. Yeah, and, and that sparks an idea in my mind, which is there's a difference between improving through iteration where you have to get to a point where 80% is good enough for now, mm -hmm. right? Because the diminishing returns of trying to go to 100% on everything is really stifling, right? Especially when you're in development. So 80% is good enough, 80%. But, but we have to dare to be bold enough to have a vision, a, a very clear vision of excellence that we never compromise on. Mm -hmm. And we look at that as a marathon. That, that We are never giving up on that, and it will always challenge us. An infinite game, if you will. That's it. Infinite games, in my mind, are the only ones That's worth it. playing in the That's long the run. That's the only thing worth playing. Yeah, And it was, it's so different than my younger mind when I thought like, once I get to 350 units, I can chart this out. I'm going to have this amount of money. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to hire this level of talent. And then I won't have to work anymore because work was the enemy. Mm -hmm. I, I feel so grateful. That's a big reframe. Yeah. I feel so grateful that somewhere in the last few years of my journey, that my mindset has transcended that mm -hmm. and that now the mm -hmm. goal is to work. And it's to work in a more effective way with even cooler people adding even more value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me about some of those people. So tell me about some of the, the leaders in your company and how yeah. you're cultivating leadership. Yeah, so we're growing quickly. We've grown quickly. Uh, a year and a half ago, we probably had about nine uh, full-time staff. We've got 22 now. We're overstaffed. We're only 520 units. Uh, but what I, what I, I got really passionate about this idea that when you build the capacity just like you were talking about before I think we started recording is like when you build the capacity uh, and, and you have options available, you just have you, your confidence level rises in your ability to monetize those options eventually. Right. And so we're taking bigger risks. We're hiring more talented people. We're hiring more people than we need right now. We're taking bigger swings. But uh, it's really cool to see those stars align and, and the momentum build. So what is your thesis with your current structure? You're saying you're currently overstaffed, 2020, uh, 22 relative to 520. Mm -hmm. What are you thinking you could get to door wise with this current headcount? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, doing the math like you talk about with the you know, churn rate and, and so forth. If you're adding 30 doors a month and you got a 20 percent churn, you're going to peak at 1500 units. Right. Simple math. So I think we're in growth mode, right? We're developing capabilities. We're training people now that will add maximal impact one or two years from now. And I know that I think that investment is worthwhile. We're also developing capabilities in our management training structure that's going to have huge payoffs eventually. So at build out, you know, we might get closer to, you know, 35, 40 people at 1500 units, which is probably a more traditional ratio of one to 40. Heard a lot of uh, people validate that that's about where they are. But right now, uh, we're okay uh, investing more heavily than that. Hmm. So the business definitely comes in seasons. What were some of the other seasons that you've been through? What were some of the lower cycles for you? Tell me about some some ass kickings along the way. Yeah, lots of ass kickings, man. Like I have been the bottleneck on this company for... 12 years. Well, maybe 10 of the 12 years, you know, and that's maybe typical for entrepreneurs. I'm a little bit slower learner, consider myself. And uh, I really, really bottlenecked it at different times where, of course, I took out more money than I should have to, to support a lifestyle that I didn't deserve yet early on, you know, work until two in the morning for three years in a row and you get a little extra money, you're going to spend that on yourself. Uh, so that was a bottleneck. I had some real breakthroughs when I was introduced to 
uh, getting more active in NARPM, serving in NARPM, which is counterintuitive, right? Mm -hmm. The service you put into uh, a service organization for your industry pays massive dividends, right? Amen. Uh, and then also I got introduced to entrepreneur organization, which was huge. Mm. I joined the accelerator program. They told me when I joined, I had 350,000 in gross revenue. And they said, all right, this accelerator program, you need to be at a million or more in revenue in three years or we kick you out. Took me six years. They didn't kick me out. Mm. But then two years ago, we were at a million in revenue and now we're at a run rate of 2 million in revenue. And so things are accelerating. Mm. Mm. And I think it's because I've been able to get out of my own way. I feel like as entrepreneurs, we have a certain level of experience, right? And it, 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 and then and then we have these little events that are like sparks where they you have a mindset shift and suddenly all of your experience is more valuable to you because you had some kind of a breakthrough. So I've had a few of those along the way and I'm looking forward to more of those. Yeah, I think that potential always exists. At any point in time, I'm confident that a, a specific reframe for me would just open up a ton of additional opportunity on the existing canvas of my life. Keeps you hungry. It does. It keeps me hungry for finding what those shifts are. And it keeps me very open to being wrong because being wrong is my fundamental premise. Yes. If I was as right as I'm going to get right now, um, I'd like to think I'd be further along in life. So I need to figure out the areas where I'm wrong and yeah. I can shift and reframe. And so I'm like, where are they? Where am I? Yeah. I know I'm wrong about something. Exactly. What is it? <laughs> I'm looking for that next thing I'm wrong at that, that could have a massive shift. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. That's yeah. worth working for. Yes. What are you reading right now? I just finished Who Not How. Fantastic book. Dan Sullivan, Strategic Coach. So many takeaways. It's in my top five. Um, I'm reading a few different books. $100 million offers by Alex Hermosi. He's a rock star. That's great. Yeah. So um, that among some other books that aren't coming to mind right now. I enjoyed $100 million offers. It's a great playbook per se for yeah. thinking about value creation and value yeah. framing. Let's be playful with value creation framing okay. in this business. In terms of the, the offering, the positioning that you carry in the market, the positioning exercise. Tell me about how you're trying to create differentiation with your, your customers. So, What's the stance you take in the market? So we are a premium product uh, for sure. You know, we try to productize our service um, and sell it as a wealth building advisory, certainly, you know, which is not uncommon, I'm sure. But I think it's the only way to grow and really position yourself for maximum profit. I do think that's that isn't common. It's definitely not the, the oh, norm. Oh, it's not. Okay. Yeah, I it's mean, uncommon. I, I figured a lot of people were doing that because you know you can't win. I mean, it's the red ocean. Why do you want to be a commodity service? That's death by a thousand paper cuts. Mm -hmm. Like no thanks. So positioning ourselves as a real estate investment advisory, a wealth building advisory, uh, and then we. Uh, you know, we leverage our Yelp rating, frankly. You know, people that are strong Yelp users. Ooh, this is, this is. This is a touchy. Oh, yeah. well, no, it's not touchy. It's touchy in a good way. Yeah, yeah, let's dive in on this. Man, there is nothing that gets people riled up like talking about let's Yelp. Let's talk about Yelp. And you know what's funny to me is that the people that who want to talk about Yelp have good Yelp ratings. <laughs> So the wanna, people that don't yeah, want to talk yeah, about yeah. Yelp. I mean, it's, you know, I found a pretty direct correlation between the two. So it's it's it's. Tell me, there's some yeah, there's some tension in our industry. I've heard some real uh, strong comments about Yelp. So I'm going to make one. If you don't have a strong Yelp rating, 
you can take more ownership of the experience you're delivering. I feel very strongly about that. And maybe, maybe I'm so, maybe I'm off balance on this. Tell I, me. I want to throw that out there. Maybe I'm emotionally codependent on the, 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 the client experience to an unhealthy degree, but I am a hundred percent dialed in on the Yelp writing. I believe my experience has been, it is the only uh, reputation rating system that is that is the most correlated with the the veracity yep. of it. Yep. Yeah, it's beat on, and that, so the irony is the thing that people hate is what makes it great. Yes, the it's, policing, the it's ghosted reviews. It's extremely difficult to manipulate mm -hmm. your Yelp rating. Mm -hmm. Google, not so much. No. Now, so here's an insight. Tell me what you think about this. I was talking with Mike Schrafer the other day, Heirloom Property Management, and he posited something that made a lot of sense to me. His articulation was that you can still sift through Google reviews by looking at the number of um, negative Google reviews relative to the number of doors that are managed by the management company. Okay. The positive reviews, you're going to get a lot of positive. Everybody's going to have a lot of positive reviews. But how many negative reviews, the thing, the, the piece that's unmanipulated, how many negative Google reviews relative to um, the number of doors as a way to filter oh, through Google only, reviews? Only looking at the negative reviews because anybody can hire an overseas marketing company to create Game hundreds, the positive Google hundreds reviews. of false Google accounts, right? <laughs> but nobody's manipulating their the negative, negative reviews. Yeah, that's the organic section of those reviews. Except for except for something I heard last night, which is unverified, that, that there are some companies that will charge $500 per negative review they can get canceled. Uh, <laughs> so wow. I, I don't know. But what I do know from experience, as a paid Yelp advertiser, they absolutely will not modify our ratings. You've, you've, <laughs> I'm not going to say have you no, tried. No, but <laughs> well, I have, but here's the context to preserve my integrity. Okay. Here's the context. We have 75 five-star ratings on our Yelp back page. Mm. That's and, the pain. And I'm spending like 1500 bucks a month and I'm saying, hey, could you move? I know these are legit. Yeah. There's no ethics here yeah. that I'm violating. Could you move these? Won't do it. Absolutely won't do it. Four and a half star Yelp, revating, uh, Yelp review rating, 50 plus Yelp reviews is rare. In fact, I once hired a VA six years ago to scour the country because entrepreneur organization taught me, okay, you're going to have a metric, but you need to have a control metric. Our, our, our metric is growth. I want to add 30 doors a month, 25 doors, whatever it is. What's the control metric? Quality. Yelp reviews. So I scoured the country. I hired a VA to scour the country to find a company that was growing by more than 20 doors a month that had more than a four-star rating on Yelp. Uh, only found one. Can we shout it out? <laughs> well, since then, it's changed. So I won't say the name of the company because I kept following them. And then one day I saw a banner on their Yelp page that said, this company is using questionable legal threats to manipulate their Yelp rating. Oh. <laughs> so I won't tell you, I won't tell you who Got it, it is. Okay. But now they're down to like two and a half. <laughs> so, is there a moral there? <laughs> is this a random anecdote? <laughs> so, well, the moral is 
if you're going to grow. So we have a philosophy that we have no business making promises to new clients if we're not keeping our promises to our existing clients. And so taking every learning opportunity we can, really putting that on the table as a case study, dissecting it, what went wrong? How did our process fail? Not how did our people fail? That's mm. the wrong question. Mm. We're hard on process. How did our process fail? Mm. And let's dare to take extreme ownership of this scenario, even if it means we have to go all the way back to two years ago when we took this account on. Some decision we made got us here. Mm. It's something you can stare at. And that's into. been powerful. That's been really powerful, I think. Mm. So you're talking about your processes there. Let's dive into that piece of the business. What does that look like for you? What infrastructure do you have? What investments have you made? What's working? What's not working? Well, we absolutely love Lead Simple. Thank you so much for your oh, contribution. Oh, brother, appreciate yes. you. Con contribution to the industry. We love Lead Simple. We feel like, again, the best companies have the best routines. The best companies have the best processes. If there's a problem, which manifests itself as someone having an emotional, strong emotional negative reaction to something that we touched mm -hmm. in any way, shape or form. We know there's some place in our process that there could be an improvement. Mm. So we find that we find it in lead simple prior to going to lead simple. We were using Rike W R I K E project management software. And I need to confess something. I didn't think that you guys would be able to go as deep. Mm. as right. So this mm. is my confession, right? Mm. You even you even allowed me the op opportunity, the privilege of giving some product feedback when you were de developing. I don't know if you remember that. And I was like, how can you go as deep as, as Asana, Basecamp, right? These these products. Uh, you're never going to have the resource. You're, 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 but what I didn't appreciate is that the focus, the niche in this industry with a product that's good enough, that's not just good enough, that's, that's pretty incredible, is so much more valuable than trying to retrofit one of these bigger products in. So anyway, so we we, we were with Reich, we moved everything over to Lead Simple, and uh, we couldn't do it without it. It's it really keeps us online. Tell me more, man. Like what what <laughs> what specifically? Here, here's what I struggle with. I I do and have done exit interviews from time to time, okay. where somebody wraps up a, an onboarding or implementation. And I'll check in and talk about the value and how it has or hasn't worked. And one of the questions I have is, what was your vision? What were you hoping to get out of it? And sometimes I hear really specific, actionable pain. Other times I hear something like, oh, I wanted to get organized. I wanted to get, get my stuff in order. Well, like I get that, but it's pretty vague. What was the specific pain that you were aiming at in going through this process? Because I am not the guy that ever wants to advertise that this is easy. Uh, systemize, systematizing your business? Does that sound trivial? <laughs> That's not something that should be easy. You know, it's not. What made the investment worthwhile for you? I have so many thoughts floating around when you when you asked that. They just, just stated that. Number one, if you're not the process guy, get the process guy. Who, not how, right? There's someone that lives and breathes process. So if you're not the process, per, you, you can't do it without process, period. So if you're not going to do it, find the person. There's somebody very anxious to apply their expertise and process and their mind to making uh, your process happen. Uh, so the investment is critical. The commitment to it is critical. It has to happen. Uh, the other thought I had is, um, which I'm going to have to pause. Question again was, what was the what were you aiming at? What, were you what aiming? justified okay. the significant investment? 
What we were aiming at is, uh, so I firmly believe that in business, uh, the approach that works for me in business is instead of addressing a problem with the options in front of me today and choosing the best option, start with a vision, a very clear vision of what the ideal outcome would be. Mm. Ford, Chevy, all these auto manufacturers mm -hmm. for years have made concept cars. These cars never make it to the road. But what do they do? They stretch the imagination to what's possible. And then that informs production in a way that's really vital, right? So, so we always had, even starting six, seven, eight years ago, we always had this vision of a fully integrated process tool that would intelligently notify us when certain trigger points were coming up, initiate action that was also something that could be automated. And so we didn't know what that was gonna be. We were trying to figure out how to retrofit Reich and like help scout together. And so once Lead Simple was introduced and we were with another company, we were trying to use RentBridge, didn't work out for us at all. And then um, when we saw Lead Simple, we're like, this is the closest thing to the vision that we've always had. And so it was an easy, easy decision. But it's a huge investment, but you have to know you know, that it's worth it. Did your people, was this, was this top down? What, what were your people thinking was in it for them? How excited were they? The, the change management piece is critical. The most, the, the key player on our team, Richard Shope, I'm so grateful for him. Uh, we've been working together for seven years now. So he and I would have these sort of vision conversations early on. And he really was instrumental in not only crystallizing the vision of what could be and what should be, but being enrolled in that so that when we found the product, even though the order was tall to implement, mm. he was on board. He was up for and it. And he drove it, he built it, he refined it, he's in there every day making it better. Couldn't have done it without him, and, and that was a critical piece. Mm. Talk to me about the um, where it sits relative to your property management software. How do you think about the different roles and responsibilities that they play? I feel like you're leading me because I, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm not the first person that said, I wish Lead Simple did everything. <laughs> Came out of your mouth, no, not mine. I, no, I'm serious. Like, um, yeah, it's like I... The more I can have our systems, processes, and data live and lead simple, the more functional it is, the more value I can add to my team and our you know, constituents. So the different work streams, though, in terms of the different work streams that flow through the business, some of them will all be done within your property accounting software. Some of them will be done all within Lead Simple. How are you divvying up the work streams? I mean, almost everything. Uh, we handle maintenance outside. We have we use Property Meld for maintenance. Great product. Yeah, greater product. And so really the property management software starts becoming relegated as just like a tenant portal, owner portal, and a, and a financial piece and the accounting piece, right? So we are running, I think we're running everything else through Lead Simple. Everything? Think, yeah. Except for maintenance and the, uh, the accounting piece, rent collection. And is there any one process that would be like emblematic of, you know, a high point of what somebody could look at and say like that, that clearly was the juice was worth the squeeze? Well, the whole thing is worth the squeeze, frankly. 
originally my vision in the very early years was that I've got to be the McDonald's of property management. McDonald's can take a labor input and move it to a higher state of productivity immediately. Consistently. Consistently. And so my initial vision was I've got to be the McDonald's of property management. We have to have systems and processes, right? My vision has shifted. It's e-myth, right? I mean, that's a classic <laughs> starting point for every entrepreneur. Yep, e-myth and built to sell, mm-hmm. right? Those are my, yes. two yes. of my top 10. So, so it's shifted because, because of this idea that if you get the right talent in the right seats, that innovative value creation yes. then becomes yes. so much more valuable mm. than standardized labor moving the needle, right? And so, so Lead Simple has ha- allowed us to leverage innovative talent acquisition and, cre- and value creation because it's, it's uh, standardized not only our processes but our training so that um, what we do uh, becomes so much easier. Speaking of training, what are you finding in terms of the labor market? The, the pool of talent that is coming to you, where is it coming from? What percentage of your staff is global? What percentage is stateside? How are you sourcing this most precious resource of the business? Yeah, absolutely. We're more than 50% remote now. Um, and we're, we did that intentionally. We wanted to build out that capability. We see that as you know a necessary uh, differentiator and um, competitive advantage, really. Um, so really our stateside team members need to be higher level thinking. They need to be innovative. They need to be creative. They need to have the empowerment, the culture that empowers them. Uh, that's really our theme this year is level up and have fun because if you're not having fun, you're not tapping into the, all the creative potential of your mind, right? And if you don't level up in the way that, that, the, that the team members understand the why, they understand what comes before what they do, what comes after what they do, and they understand the underpinnings of the principles involved in the why of what you're doing, they can never be empowered to actually create, you know, in, innovate new value creation in the, in the process. So that's what we're trying to do is push out the authority to the front lines mm. and then focus on attracting talent. But t- attracting talent's tough, man. I mean, we, we proactively, in this theme of extreme ownership, when we saw the, the Fed printing money like crazy, we did 10% on average cost of living increase increases the last two years running because I don't want, first of all, I want to treat people right. I'm also going to expect my owners to pay me more, uh, you know, dollars, not real dollars necessarily, but actual mm-hmm. <laughs> printed dollars because the, the currency is devalued. So, uh, but it's tough. It's fun. It's tough to find top, top, top talent. And it should be, it makes sense. It's such a precious resource. It makes sense that it would be worth the effort, in my experience, it's not that dissimilar from a sales and marketing problem. There's a funnel, there's a pipeline, there's a top, there's a bottom, there's a middle. You're qualifying people through it the whole way through. Not to say that that uh, rote view of it is the sole thing that produces where the magic comes from. A lot, a lot of it has to do with putting out the right dog whistles, if you will, that massively appeal to the right people and are fairly repellent to the wrong people. When I think about the direction of where we're headed with the business, it is in general trying to better and benefit our clients and therefore the industry. There are so many different ways that you can do that, so many different 
angles of attack to improve our industry. What comes to mind for you when you think about an area of focus of where we could really improve as an industry, level up, reframe our thinking, et cetera? What's top of mind for you as of late? What's top of mind for me recently, especially at this conference, is maximizing value creation for the owner. So what what does that look like? And you have these different personas, right? These different avatars, an owner that's accidental, that's maybe uh, has a stronger financial position versus an accidental owner that doesn't have a strong financial position. You've got the deliberate landlord. So you have these different personas. And if you understand them, you understand what the next steps in their transformative journey are, is then you can help be that guide. You can take them by the hand. You can be a preferred partner to help improve their lives. So for instance, lease, let's talk about process for a moment. Lease renewal process, right? I was talking with uh, uh, Ryan Hatch, mm-hmm. the guy Ryan Hatch. Our product guy. And the lease renewal process, I think the most important objective of the lease renewal process has nothing to do with renewing the lease. I think it has to do with understanding whether that owner's capital is at its highest productivity. Should we unlock that capital through a cash out refinance? Should we split the equity in 1031 exchange? Should we get you out of an older aging multifamily mm-hmm. HOA mm-hmm. that's about to have massive uh, increases to the HOA fee, which will then you know, uh, put a lid on how fast that property mm-hmm. appreciates? Where does this fit with your financial picture? How emotionally are you interacting with this experience of being a landlord? That is real estate so, strategy. That is so much more important than just renewing a lease. Real estate strategy. Absolutely. Are you thinking strategically? That one of the definitions I love most about entrepreneur is taking resources from a lower state of productivity mm-hmm. to a higher state Straight of productivity. Straight out of Dan Sullivan. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I love that definition. How is our client not exactly like that? They, they are an entrepreneur, whether they accept it or not, with a single asset business that needs to, to it, the capital in that business needs to be put to its highest, highest state of productivity that they can tolerate emotionally, right? And so um, that's the journey we should be on. And what about market positioning where you're at? We were talking before the show and you were mentioning that you're not sure if the market has leveled off or where we're at in this cycle. Obviously, there's going to be some variance based on geography. But we're talking about real estate market. Yes. Yeah. And your your market. What do things? I think I I think we already hit bottom. I think we're coming off bottom. We already have data in Phoenix that shows that we're three percent up in two months. So we had 13% value decline in, in single-family homes, uh, which is primarily what we fo- focus on, uh, through last year with these interest rate hikes. And um, we've already come off of that. We're, we've already, in our recent listing activity, anecdotally, we've had uh, put three properties in, under, under contract less than a week, some with multiple offers. So I'm already feeling like we've bounced off the bottom. And everybody's talking about you know a shortage of housing supply, but... Uh, but I think also we just have an inflation problem. We have what I don't I don't know what the, the number is, at least 50 percent more dollars in the system than we did a few years ago. Right. If that's not wrong, then those are chasing the same fixed basket of goods. Right. And so there's nowhere for real estate prices to go up, uh, you know, to go then up. And so we've already seen I, I was I was sort of cynical and thinking that, man, this is we're really. It's not going to be as bad as 2008, but it's going to be rough, you know, 
let's wait wait for the vultures to circle and and there's going to be some deals to be had i think we're already i think we're already on the way back up and what are you seeing it mean for the management business well, you have the accidental landlords that flood into the market, right? When the, the, the market's moving down, you always have public opinion trailing about 60 to 90 days behind what's actually happening, right? Mm -hmm. So so we had a guy, one of our clients just contacted us. He said, hey, my eight property portfolio, I'm out. His mindset was, hey, we're already down 10%. We're going to go down another 10%. I'm out. So it was surprising to him to hear we think we're going to be able to sell these, you know, sell these uh, even with residents in place for strong prices because it's already a seller's market again in Phoenix. The market cycle obviously is a huge backdrop to property management right now yeah. as this idea of the market being countercyclical yeah. is being tested and we're seeing what comes of it. Generally, what we're seeing is uh, good times, growth. Yeah optimism 100 there's a lot of momentum here in the space and man i just think it's a, it's a great place well, to be just talking about the market a little bit more you know we're not at a great place uh in terms of historically relatively speaking in terms of being able to buy a property for minimal amount down and having to be cash flow positive so investors are having to pay up in this asset class right the idea is that you're you're getting a seven percent interest rate today you're going to be able to refinance two or three years from now. So cash flow today when you're buying that asset is not great. But I talked to a bond trader recently and he said, I would rather take a, you know, I'd rather take the $50,000 reduction in price, rather pay less for the asset at a higher interest rate all day long versus the opposite, right? Because when that interest rate falls, asset price is going to accelerate back up. Mark, one of the things that I know about you is that you're a committed runner. Yes, sir. Tell me about what that means for you and what that has done for you other than fitness. Absolutely. So uh, I turned 40 and uh, five years ago, and I thought I'm never going to achieve my financial peak at anything unless I go all in right now. This is my this is my chance. So I went couch to marathon in 22 months, did a 302 marathon, which I was really proud of. And to reward myself, I'd also run a trail race in, a, in the buildup to that marathon. And it was so fun, so fun. So I said, if I do this, if I Boston qualify and I nail this, I'm going to reward myself by turning to trail running. And that's been my love ever since. And so, uh, yeah, thanks for asking about it. One of the things that trail running has taught me, which has been phenomenal, actually, is that um, pace doesn't matter as much as effort does. So in life in general, one of the most powerful lessons I've learned from trail running, I finished a 100-kilometer race in October, and I, I got a PR by 80 minutes versus my time two years prior. And all things being equal, as you get older, you're not as athletic. So that was a big deal for me. And what I had done is figured out a strategy to hold my effort constant instead of my pace over that event. And I did wildly better mm. than I was expecting. So oh, that's been a powerful lesson to me. And there's so many parallels to ultra marathon running, trail racing uh, with life and business. So what does that mean? Does that mean that you went slower than expected in certain places, but Absolutely. faster than expected Absolutely. in others? In life, and I like to think of this, in life, if you notice that uh, you're, you're, you're going uphill right now, focus on holding your effort constant, not your pace, because there's a downhill coming and the people that are coasting on that downhill, you're going to pass them up, right? They burned their matchsticks on the uphill. 
And that's a saying that we talk about in trail racing is like, oh man, I just burned all my matchsticks. I'm going to this bonk, right? Don't do that. Let your effort remain constant and you'll win in the end. You'll pass them up. There's so many, there's a term in trail racing, which is DNF, did not finish. Some of these long races, 30 to 50% of the field doesn't even finish the race. Mm. So in business, in owning and building wealth through real estate, I think the biggest threat is not finishing. It's not how fast am I going right now. Stamina. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> Stamina. That's it. You're absolutely right. You can outlast. You're going to win in the end. I saw so many companies that started the same time I did in my market that were blowing up. Um, but some of their business practices I didn't agree with, some of the way they were, they were monetizing their services I didn't necessarily agree with. I thought it was maybe a short-term gain. So I'm excited to see that with our reputation intact, we can now leverage that, and, and, and I know we're going to win in the end because we're never going to quit. Well said, man. Let's leave it there. All right. Appreciate you coming on, Mark. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, really. There we go. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.